So guys, I was thinking about it today after rewatching Thor. It had been a while for me. And um, for whatever reason, I hadn't really thought about this before, but like with Thor, his weapon is a hammer. So, you know, they talk about it in the movie. It's like a weapon to destroy, but also a tool to build. And I was like, if I had godlike powers, what would I grab out of like my nearest toolbox to make my weapon of choice? So I wanted to bring that up to you guys and pose that question. What would you go for? Well, first of all, I'm not sure if Odin, you know, this godly king, really knows how tools work. Because it's not just a hammer you build things with. You need some nails. You probably need some lumber. You can't just walk into a build site with just a hammer and expect to build a city. Well, is that what you're going to tie your answer into, Austin? Is your weapon of choice going to be a, a log or a girder, perhaps? I think my weapon of choice is actually just going to be a mythical toolkit, but it will only contain all the secondary pieces that you would need to use with a hammer. <laughs> okay. Hmm. So in a way, you're kind of Thor's sidekick. <laughs> he has the hammer and you have the nails, basically. What I'm thinking here is he's probably going to be in the brunt of the combat and I'll just kind of be chucking things out that he may need. Oh, that's actually cool. Like you throw nice. like a, you throw a nail like a spear and then in slow motion, he like spins around and hits it and gives it more speed and goes in somebody's head. I like this. Exactly, but he's also going to have to specify to me if he's looking to build or destroy, because there's a lot of different <laughs> types of nails out there, so i got to be real clear about what he's needing. Thor, your dad said, I mean, this is a weapon to destroy and also build, so just remember to let me know, because I get confused. Exactly. That's what I'm going for. I think my superhero name will be Hard Hat. That's a really good name. Hard Hat. I like, I like that. Shit, I didn't think about a character name. I did think about what I would use, though, so maybe we can workshop the name a little bit, but I maybe workshop will be the name. But... Oh, that's a good one. You can be my sidekick. Oh, yes. We'll always be each other's sidekicks, but mine would be... Because I was thinking about, I watched Indiana Jones recently, and I was like, why don't we see more whips in movies? They're so versatile, you know? You can use it as a weapon and also as, like, a grappling hook and defense, all that good stuff. So I was like, well, what could I do? And I was like, you know what? My weapon from the toolkit will be a tape measure. Damn it. That's what I was going to say. Are you serious? Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. I was really going to say that. <laughs> you stole mine. Maybe Keith and I can be like a dynamic, like twin duo or something where we both have a tape measure. Maybe we can compromise here. Maybe, maybe Matt, you can be a ruler and Keith can actually use the tape measure. Oh, so we're like, what would be, what would be, we would be like the measuring blank. It would have to be alliteration. So like. The Measuring Men. <gasps> the Measuring Men. Oh, that's a really good The Measuring good... Men in Hard Hat. Oh, my we God. We have, like, dual tape measures that we can, like, sling out at, like, a, at an infinite point, mm. and we're able to, like, reel things back into us. Exactly. To, like, punch them in some sort of powerful way. Whenever Matt becomes worthy of his ruler, he then gets upgraded to a yardstick. Oh, that would be big. That would be big. I mean, my final form is a protractor. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnies. We are three Norse gods with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and Thor has me thunderstruck. I'm Keith Baker, and I need a horse. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm not king yet. <laughs> Best line of the movie. Best line of the movie. On today's show, we'll be continuing our bi-weekly series on the MCU Phase 1 with Thor. But first, Matt, our newest ongoing bonus series has been covering the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. How's that been going so far? It's been going pretty good, I gotta say. It's been a little bit weird having to watch Phase 1 Marvel movies and also watch a TV series on Disney Plus that's Phase 4. <laughs> so we're uh, over a decade apart in some of what we're talking about, but it's been fun. Yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier, we're over halfway through it now, I guess. And the first two episodes were big hits. We all had kind of varying thoughts on the third one, but ultimately we're still really excited to see where this series goes. So make sure that you stay tuned. And since those new episodes come in on Friday, we'll be releasing our review and our thoughts, including spoilers, the following Sunday. All right. And with that, let's get into our main topic for today. We are officially over halfway through the MCU phase one, and it's time to meet our newest Avenger. Thor released in 2011 and was Chris Hemsworth's first time to wield Milnor. The film released to decent reviews, and over a decade later, Hemsworth seems to only get better at playing this character. A lot of people think the sequel is the worst of the MCU, and most say they didn't fall in love with this character until Ragnarok. So what does that mean for the origin? Is this film bad, forgettable, 
were really good on a rewatch. Let's break it down and figure it out. Matthew and Keith, give me your history with this film and your initial thoughts on Thor. Well, for me, I think I've only seen this movie maybe once or twice before the rewatch this week. I couldn't remember anything from it, really. I think the only thing I really remember is maybe the beginning scenes of him on uh, Asgard and then maybe the ending. The middle, I cannot remember. So it was good to rewatch it. I had a great time. I'll go from there. What about you, Matthew? Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's funny, thinking back, I don't know if I brought this up in the Incredible Hulk episode. I, I, I might have, but I didn't see that one in theaters. I saw it the year it came out. I remember renting it from Blockbuster when it was new. Um, but Thor, actually, we'll talk about it again with Captain America. I didn't see these in theaters, had real no interest at the time, and didn't see them for a long time until Avengers. So I guess it was well over a year after these came out because... I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just a combination of no interest based on the trailers. I Maybe I didn't fully understand that these were part of the MCU at the time, since that was still a new thing. Um, but yeah, I didn't see Thor or Captain America until I was hanging out with some friends from high school. And they were like, we need to buy our tickets to go see the Avengers Midnight premiere like now, or else it's going to sell out. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll go. That'll be fun. And they were like, about our tickets and they were like well have you seen all the movies i was like i saw the iron man movies and the hulk movie and they're like you haven't seen thor captain america i was like no not yet and so we did like a double back-to-back watch we watched thor and captain america and then i think like the next day like on opening day we went to go see avengers midnight premiere and what a we'll talk about that when we get to it but thor i really liked it i remember watching it the first time i was like ah i can't believe i missed this one you know this was this was really fun and i'm kind of with keith i think i've only seen it one other time since this rewatch and on a rewatch i gotta say i i think it's pretty underrated i thought it was a good origin movie it was funny when it needed to be i thought the romantic kind of dynamic worked and was sweet and kind of cute and they had good chemistry the action was good when it needed to be chris hemsworth i thought nailed it and uh yeah i just think it's a fun movie yeah, for me, I um, I think I've weirdly seen Thor the most out of these MCU Phase 1 films, but I don't think I saw it in theaters. I think I was with you, Matt. I think I missed it, and then for whatever reason, happened to have it a lot when it was out on video on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was the most familiar with this one kind of going into this rewatch series, and I guess I had just forgotten how cool all the Norse and Asgardian stuff really is in this movie, so I was pleasantly surprised by that. I have issues when we get to the Earth stuff. I'm less interested in that dynamic of this movie. But overall, I'm kind of with you guys. I had a lot of fun with this film, and I'm excited to break it down. Well, I'm glad we all liked it. I know it feels like we haven't had uh, this kind of... We at least all, at the very least, enjoyed it since the first one we did, Iron Man. Iron Man 2, we were like, it was fun, I guess. And Incredible Hulk, we obviously had very varying... uh, Almost broke up the podcast, that episode. (laughs) No, it didn't. But here we are. We at least all like this one. So I'll take that as a win. All right. Well, everybody, we are going to roll that segue music and we come back. It'll be time to dive in to 2011's Thor. All right, Matt, we have a lot of people making their debut into the MCU this week. Please break down our cast and crew for Thor. Yes. So right off the bat, crazy who they got as a director, someone you wouldn't have really thought of. I guess it makes sense in a way, but it's Sir Kenneth Branagh, who is probably to the general public more known as an actor for Hamlet. He played Gilderoy Lockhart in Harry Potter. He plays Hercule Poirot in Murder on the Orient Express. He played the villain in Tenet. When it comes to directing, though, he has also made several award-winning Shakespeare adaptations, including some that he's been in. He made Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Cinderella, and so many more. I was also reading that his uh, familiarity with, like, kind of Shakespearean literature is one of his, like, one of the reasons he got picked to direct this film. Yeah, I think, especially with the Asgard stuff, the father-son dynamics, and the way just those kind of Norse characters talk... There's kind of some uh, Shakespearean elements. I think people would agree. Anyway, the screenplay was by Ashley Edward Miller, Zach Stentz, and Don Payne. The movie score was composed by Patrick Doyle, who did Chariots of Fire, Sense and Sensibility. And he works with, like, Kenneth Branagh, apparently, on all of his movies. And Keith. This guy did the score for the best two of all time, Secondhand Lions. Oh, shit. Wow. 
And of course, this is based on characters created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. And our cast, like Austin mentioned, lots of people that we know now for being mainstays of the MCU, making their debut here. You got Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, Tom Hiddleston as the god of mischief himself, Loki, Stellan Skarsgård as Eric Selvig, Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis, Colm Fiore as Laufey, Idris Elba as Heimdall, Jamie Alexander as Sif, Ray Stevenson, Tadanobu Asano, and Josh Dallas as the Warriors 3. Rene Russo as Frigga, who I think had two lines in the movie, seems like a waste. Clark Gregg as Agent Phil Coulson, with, of course, Jeremy Renner making his debut as Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, and Sir Anthony Hopkins as the Allfather Odin. My friends, what were your highlights, whether they be positive or negative? Break down the cast and crew for me. I do have a few shout-outs I'll, I'll make, and I guess I'll start at the top of the list, Chris Hemsworth. Man, I, I forgot how young he looked in this one. It was weird to see crazy. him. Uh, yeah, it's nuts. But I think he played a good part. He was funny, and he was able to do the action scenes just as well as the comedic moments. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I liked him as uh, Eric Selvig. And third one, I'll shout out to Sir Anthony Hopkins. Mm. He's good in everything he's in, pretty much. So that's all I need to say for him. Yeah, Keith kind of stole mine, but Anthony Hopkins as Odin, such a great casting. He just brings so it in this movie. He's so good. Um, my other one, I guess I'll do Natalie Portman. She was way better than I remembered her being in this mm -hmm. film. I love her James Foster. Um, kind of sucks we haven't seen much of her since this film, but I am excited to see what she does in Thor Love and Thunder. She's coming back. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I um, I feel like I'm running into the same issue with all these movies. I mean, whether or not we like them to varying degrees, I think... The people they're putting together work as individuals for sure. I really like Kenneth Branagh's direction. I like the screenplay that was put together by the people we mentioned. Patrick Doyle I actually want to shout out too because this is the first MCU score that I noticed in a good way. Like I was listening to it and I was like, this is a really good score. Like this is really badass. It's emotional what it needs to be. The other ones didn't really have that. The Iron Man movies, of course, have great soundtracks. I wouldn't say their score is anything special. Same with Incredible Hulk. So I want to shout him out. And um, as for the cast, I agree with everything you guys said. Tom Hiddleston, just like Sam Jackson, he has been nailing it since day one. I thought he was great as Loki. Um, Idris Elba, I liked the little voice they put in there. He was fun as Heimdall. Dude, I don't know how they got him for this role. Well, he wasn't famous back then. He had done The Wire. That was it. It's just it's just crazy today to see Idris Elba oh, today, in that type yeah. of role. Yeah, yeah. looking back but, on it, it's man, like, yeah. His Heimdall is so fun, too. Oh, yeah, I really like Heimdall. He's really fun yeah. the way he kind of has to morph to uh, the varying kings and stuff. Jamie Alexander and the Warriors 3 I thought were great as well. Everybody was great, but I, and I agree with you guys. I mean, the main, the best performance here is Anthony Hopkins as Odin. I mean, the guy doesn't have too much screen time, but every line is serves the function it needs to. Whenever he yells at Thor, it's always like, holy shit, that was terrifying. <laughs> but you're not! king yet and then he kind of also smiles like not yet and it's like oh shit and then whenever he's like you're a vain greedy cruel boy it's like oh my god i'm, I'm terrified <laughs> <laughs> but then like equally whenever he says he's proud of him at the end it's like oh wow yeah they just nailed this so tons of highlights here for me whenever he shows up on jotunheim and he's like silence boy oh yeah so good so good all right austin that takes care of the cast and crew now Whenever we do older movies, at least older in the grand scheme of things, I'm always curious what went into the production, and I always am clamoring for some fun facts, so what do you got for me? I actually, I weirdly don't have a whole lot this week. There wasn't too much drama surrounding this film. Um, the Thor project, though, did go through a slew of directors, so I got to break this down for you guys. Originally, way back in the 1990s, Sam Raimi pitched the idea of a Thor movie to Fox, but they turned him down saying comic book movies do not make for good movies. Of course, 10 years later, Sam Raimi makes Spider-Man into a household name and makes it into like one of the reasons comic book movies even exist with his trilogy. And he'll, of course, be back to the MCU because he's directing Doctor Strange 2. So I'm excited to see him come back. Also worth noting here, too, is that Sam Raimi actually sat down and wrote that 1990s project with Stan Lee, and they both pitched it to Fox together. Oh. And Fox still was not interested. I would have been really curious to see like what Stan Lee's contribution was to an actual like movie adaptation as opposed to the comics. That could have been cool. So Mark Protosevich, uh, he wrote I Am Legend. He agreed to write a script for Thor back in 2006 with Matthew Vaughn attached to direct. 
Matthew Vaughn, of course, known for his crazy action movies. Um, he was later released from the project, and Marvel then asked Prochevich to uh, go ahead and write a new draft of the movie with Guillermo del Toro attached to direct. Del Toro would eventually pass to make The Hobbit. He would later be then removed from that project as well. And Del Toro's film actually sounded pretty interesting. He wanted to really focus on the Viking and Norse lore, and his version even had us going to Valhalla. This is really interesting to hear. I had no idea about this, but it's also worth mentioning. Matthew Vaughn went on to direct X-Men First Class, Kick-Ass, Kingsman, all comic book adaptations, of course, one of them being Marvel, and Guillermo Del Toro did the Hellboy movies. So... It's interesting that they were like going for people that either were about to break big with comic book movies like Sam Raimi and uh, Matthew Vaughn or somebody like Guillermo del Toro that had a track record. So interesting. Yeah. I had no idea about that. That's pretty cool. So after del Toro was removed from the project, it would then go to DJ Carusco, who was coming off the hit film I Am Number Four. Oh, the hit film <laughs> I Am Number Four? Oh, my God. We saw that together in theaters. Yeah, I'm trying to say. I remember that movie. Alex Pettifer. <laughs> Alex yeah, Pettifer. Alex Pettifer. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Timothy Olyphant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What a piece of shit. <laughs> so he was approached to direct, but ultimately the movie ended up going to Sir Kenneth Branagh. And then, of course, when Branagh signs on, that is then the reason that Natalie Portman and Idris Elba agree to the project because he was attached to it. So that's how we get kind of these bigger names to then sign on for Thor. Oh, okay. Nice. Cool. I, yeah, I had read some of the cast. I think um, Ray Stevenson, who played Volstagg, like the bigger guy in the Warriors 3, and Tom Hiddleston, even though he wasn't a household name, I guess he had worked. They had both worked with Kenneth Branagh in like smaller yeah, in roles in movies before. So that was cool to see them come aboard as well. Okay, so I feel like these casting conversations are always fun on this show. I'm going to run down some names of who is almost cast as Thor, and I just want you guys to say yes, please, if you're interested, or okay. no, thank you, if this doesn't work for you, okay? Gotcha, gotcha. Sounds good. I like it. This was the guy that was first in line for the role. It was his role to lose, Daniel Craig. Now, we're talking like in 2011 or just ever? In 2011, he Whoa. was the first choice, but he would turn it down to play James Bond. Knowing who he is now, no thanks. Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go. No, thank you. Great actor, but no, thank you. I can't see it. Number two, Tom Hiddleston. So this is the big one. Have you guys seen the audition tape of him? Because it's on YouTube, and it's really funny because it's Tom Hiddleston wearing a blonde wig, and no disrespect, but I mean, compared to Chris Hemsworth, he's kind of a a, a slim guy, so I would have to go equally no thank you, because it's hard to picture and he killed it as Loki, so no thank you. Yeah, no thanks. Charlie Hunnam. Okay, mm. we're entering yes please territory. I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I could see Charlie Hunnam. Alexander Skarsgård. Definitely yes. Oh, and with his dad Stella, in the movie Stella too. son. Yeah. I could definitely see him. Yes please. Joel Kinnaman. Oh, you guys know I'm yes, please, for Joel Kinnaman. I love Joel <laughs> Kinnaman. Yeah, he probably could have been all right. And lastly, Liam Hemsworth went against his brother for the role. No, thanks. Uh, I mean, no, thanks. I don't know. I don't like Liam Hemsworth. It's good you're both saying no, thanks, because Kevin Feige himself personally removed him from the running of the role. He did not want Liam Hemsworth in this movie. Okay, so those are all kind of the big names that read for the role of Thor. And at the time, uh, Chris Hemsworth didn't even have an agent representing him. He was such a small actor that, like, nobody would sign him. He was originally not even a, given a screen test when he read for the part originally. He basically was nixed from the moment his name even appeared. However, he luckily ended up landing an agent who had an existing relationship with Kevin Feige, and the agent lobbied on his behalf to be given a second chance. At the time, Chris Hemsworth was also filming Cabin in the Woods and Joss Whedon, who would later direct The Avengers, uh, coached him through the audition. And apparently when he actually got that screen test, uh, the whole cast and crew of Thor was blown away by his audition. Yeah, I forgot, forgot about, about that. Cabin in the Woods. I forgot that that factored mm -hmm. in because I remembered, I mean, the big reason Cabin in the Woods came out when it did was because Joss Whedon directed The Avengers and Chris Hemsworth ended up getting Thor and The Avengers. So now that movie actually had a reason to come out because it was shelved for a couple years. So that actually makes sense with the timeline that Joss Whedon would have helped him and all that. So that's cool. Also, I mean, talk about crazy. That that must not happen very often in Hollywood that like your first audition goes so poorly that you're not even like considered for 
even like doing the same thing on camera and then you get an agent and now you end up in a huge movie like that <laughs> that must never happen so good for him okay well that's what i've got for our production stories today keith tell me what the critics thought about thor in 2011 the critics all right so released may 6 2011 through august 25th 2011 had a 77% on rotten tomatoes has a 7 on imdb and this movie grossed 450 million worldwide. Whoa. That's a big success. Yeah, 50, I think it was the uh, 15th highest film of 2011. So Rotten Tomatoes was quoted, it's a dazzling blockbuster that tempers its sweeping scope with wit, humor, and human drama. Uh, Variety stated, Thor delivers the goods so long as Bud is being kicked and family conflict is playing out in celestial dimensions, but is less thrilling during the Norse warrior gods' rather brief banishment on Earth. Okay, so I guess I'm in line with variety then, on my general thoughts. Yeah. The Chicago Sun-Times was quoted, Thanks in large part due to charming, funny, and winning performance from Australian actor Chris Hemsworth, Thor is the most entertaining superhero debut since the original Spider-Man. Oh, a bit more positive, okay. It's funny that they have to uh, say Australian actor Chris Hemsworth because he yeah. was so small <laughs> at the time. <laughs> uh, a second uh, writer on Chicago Sun-Times gave it a little bit more of a negative review, uh, stating, Thor is a failure as a movie, hmm. but a success as marketing, an illustration of the ancient carnival tactic of telling the rubes anything to get them into the tent. Oh, okay. That is a writer who thinks he is smarter than he actually is. Yeah. That's the dream. That's the dream. Mr. A.O. Scott of the New York Times also disliked the film, calling it an example of the program triumph of commercial calculation over imagination. Oh, I love calculation. <laughs> wow, that guy sounds like Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah. Is A.O. Scott Edward Norton's pseudonym? <laughs> it sounds like Edward Norton bashing the Incredible Hulk. After he got fired, he became a, like a freelance writer so he could bash all the Marvel movies. <laughs> Every now and then he just throws out, hey, maybe they should have hired Edward Norton to write this film. And then like the last quote, the only part where he's positive, he goes, I give the film one star. The only reason I give it a star is because I like the line wherever Selen Skarsgård says he knows a scientist that knows gamma radiation. And I was like, I think he might be referencing The Incredible Hulk. A great film. <laughs> All right, so uh, Kenneth Turin of the Los Angeles Times had mixed feelings about the movie. He described it as an aesthetic standoff between predictable elements and unexpected ones. So Turin praised the performances of Hemsworth, Hopkins, and Elba, but found the special effects inconsistent. I think I agree with that. When the Destroyer goes to Earth, that, uh, that looks pretty bad. God, I, I always get my terms mixed up here, but it's like, I guess I would say the art design and the production design of this movie is just top notch, even by today's standards, 10 years later. Looking at how Asgard looks in exteriors and interiors is just amazing. Um, it's not until characters start to move around, kind of like the VFX of Thor, like trying to fly or hit people. It's like, okay, yeah, so that doesn't look super good. It's more of just kind of the, the set pieces look great, not the actual like, character movements. They haven't nailed that yet. Yeah, it's funny you say that because you can like really tell who's on wires in some of these scenes yeah. and who's not. Like them getting hit by the hammer just really has not aged. I'm sure at the time it looked incredible. Yeah. But from what we've gotten now, it just hasn't aged very well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, you mentioned the destroyer fight, which whenever he flies up in the tornado and like, sh like stuff is flying around, it's like, yeah, this looks bad by today's standards. Um, as for just general thoughts, based on what the critics said, I, um, yeah, it sounds like Austin agrees with some of those sentiments there. I guess I'm a bit more positive. I, I probably skew that direction. I, I, I agree with the elements that I really like Chris Hemsworth. I think he, after hearing that story of him getting the part, it's awesome to see that he turned in a great performance. Like we already kind of mentioned, he's funny when he needs to be, he's serious when he needs to be, and he just comes into these both emotional, both big and small moments, and he's great. I think he's just great in the movie. But yeah, I guess my biggest disagreement is I do like the human story. I like going to Earth. We'll talk about that later, about why, but I think it works 
in order to frame Thor's character, if that makes sense. I think they chose the right story in order to make him end up where we want to see him going forward. So I'm happy with that. But ultimately, yeah, sure. I do think it's a bit more boring than the Asgard stuff and the Jotunheim stuff. So I'll, I'll agree with that element. So I'm not too far off from the critics. I think I just enjoyed it a little bit more. Yeah, I think I think all the praise for Chris Hemsworth is definitely uh, deserving. I had forgotten how funny this movie actually is, too. For some reason, I had always thought that they didn't figure out how to make Thor funny until Ragnarok. But uh, he has some great lines in this movie, too. So many. There's one throwaway line I want to bring up to you guys later because I just it had me belly laughing. <laughs> um, and yeah, for me, it's just it's not that I don't like the Earth story in this movie. I just think compared to Asgard, sure. it's just so much less interesting. And it feels like such small stakes whenever we're there as opposed to whenever the movie is taking place in Asgard. And so for me, that's just kind of where I agree that all the stuff that they presented to me with Asgard is super cool. And I'm just more interested in that as opposed to when we switch back to the Earth story. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah, I I think the Earth stuff is not as exciting as the Asgardian stuff, but I still liked it, and I liked all the human um, aspects of it. I especially loved Stellan Skarsgård and um, his character uh, Eric, and I liked Darcy. I did like Natalie Portman's character, but I don't know. I, it just wasn't quite believable to me that her and Thor were matched for each other it's quick there's no doubt but i'm not even i know this is gonna sound stupid i'm not making a joke their chemistry to me it's kind of hot i gotta be honest i mean (laughs) the way like thor gets mjolnir back and like his armor comes back on and she's like is that how you normally look and he's like more or less and it's like it's a good look. I'm like, hell yeah, it is. I mean, I don't know. I agree with you, Keith. The fact that she like falls in love with him, if you want to say that, sure, a bit ridiculous. But just the fact they bonded enough to that point after that rooftop scene they had, I was like, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I feel like this doesn't happen too much lately on this podcast, but I'm going to side with Matt here. Yes. I uh, I really <laughs> bought the Thor and Jane relationship in this one way more than I expected to. It It is certainly quick, but... Matt's right about the chemistry. They have great chemistry and they they play off of each other so well in this movie too that I totally bought like the beginnings of a relationship. At the very least, even when the Earth stuff isn't as exciting and there's like tons of funny and fun stuff going on, the best line of the movie to me is <laughs> after this whole Eric Selvig and Thor like, eh, we don't like each other. And then they get drunk and have a good time and Thor brings him back and Selvig's just like, he's drunk and his response is, I still don't believe you're the god of thunder but sl- and slaps him on the face, but you ought to be. <laughs> such a good line and Thor is just kind of like smiling and laughing so good okay well we got to move on here so Matt I think it's time before we get into our roundtable discussion we got to play can we break it down guys as for all of us it had been a long time since we saw Thor so I'm sure anybody out there listening maybe it's been a while for you if so here's what goes down Keith how about you start us off with the origin to this origin story What do we need to know about the war between Asgard and the Frost Giants, the truce they formed, and young Thor and Loki? Asgard has a a history with the Frost Giants on a distant planet. They have an ongoing feud, and they they do have a truce that's formed. And then a young Thor and Loki are growing up. They're kind of in talks with Odin, their father, of who is going to, you know, take up the, uh, the crown later on. With that, a big part of the story revolves around Thor being stripped of his powers and exiled from Asgard, having to become worthy once again. So, Austin, why don't you give me the rundown of Thor's actions that led to him being cast out in the first place? Yes, so right as Thor is about to be crowned king, three frost giants sneak into Asgard and attempt to steal their magic box. Uh, Thor is pissed because they interrupted the ceremony, and he wants to go to Jotunheim and punish the frost giants. Odin tells him he doesn't know what his actions will cause, meaning he doesn't want another war. Thor disobeys his father and goes to Jotunheim anyway, inadvertently starting a war with the Frost Giants. Odin has to intervene, and he is very ashamed that his son disobeyed a direct order from his king, and he strips Thor of his powers. So once Thor lands on Earth where he is sent, the movie becomes more about developing his relationship with astrophysicist Jane Foster and her team of Eric Selvig and Darcy Lewis. He tries to reclaim his hammer Mjolnir, but he is no longer worthy, meaning he cannot lift it. Cutting back to Asgard, Loki discovers his true heritage and becomes king when Odin is incapacitated. 
Keith, tell me about Loki's revelation, this weird Odin sleep mechanic, and the deal that Loki makes with the Frost Giants. Yeah, so Loki pretty much discovers that he's not actually blood to Odin. And so it's kind of why Thor was becoming king. Mm. Thor was actually blood. So you can imagine he had a lot of resentment as far as the Odin sleep. So maybe you guys can help me out on this one. I'm, I actually kind of am vague. So Odin goes into this weird like coma-like state. Yeah. He's asleep, I guess, but because when he gets too upset with something, <laughs> he does this every so often. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's. I don't think that's it. I think it's more of he goes in here to kind of like preserve his life because he's had such a long life. I think he like kind of goes yeah. in here to like recover. Yeah, something like that. And yeah, as far as Loki's deal with the uh, Frost Giants, so yeah, he makes a deal with the Frost Giants telling them that he will let them into Asgard in order to kill Odin while he's sleeping. That's right, Keith, that's right. We'll get more into that later, but luckily, Sif and the Warriors 3 team up with Heimdall to rescue Thor, which leads to Thor reclaiming his title and fighting Asgard's destroyer in the streets of New Mexico, Austin, we talked about it a bit already, but break this down for me. So the story shows up and starts attacking New Mexico. Um, unlike how Thor was at the beginning of the movie, he is now more focused on getting the innocent people to safety instead of jumping right in the battle. Uh, the Warriors 3 try to take on the Destroyer on their own, but they are all kind of incapacitated. Thor then tells his crew to leave, and he basically calls out to Loki and says, end this and just kill me instead. He tries to sacrifice himself, and in doing so, he earns the right to wield the hammer again. Milnor comes back to him, and he defeats the Destroyer. Good job, Thor. And with that, he returns to Asgard one final time. Loki kills Lofi to give him an excuse to destroy Jotunheim and become worthy to Odin in the process. Of course, that leads to Thor and Loki fighting, and they destroy the Bifrost to prevent the destruction. Of course, also leaving them stranded in Asgard. Sorry, Natalie Portman. No more kissies from a guy with dyed eyebrows for you. Odin saves his sons, but Loki jumps into the abyss. Thor and Odin make amends. Foster continues her research on Asgard, and Nick Fury recruits Dr. Selvig to study the Tesseract. However, Loki appears, and they hint at the control that he has over Selvig, thus leading us into the Avengers. It's funny you brought up the dyed eyebrows because I was actually reading this interview with Kevin Feige where he said one of his biggest regrets in producing the MCU is making Chris Hemsworth dye his eyebrows for this film. It looks legitimately terrible the entire time. Okay, my friends, I think we did a great job playing Can We Break It Down this week, and now let's get into our roundtable discussion. All right, so I know not everyone is on the same page as me with this, but I really like the way they framed the story. The first act introduces us to our characters in Asgard while also setting up this troubled relationship between them and the Frost Giants. It immediately feels different from the other movies to me, I guess is what I'm saying. I like the majority of the movie is about Thor having to become worthy of his godhood, something that he takes for granted, I assume. And I like his rapport with the human characters before ending things back in Asgard once again. So I want to know from you guys, did you like the story this movie chose to tell as much as I did? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. And like I said, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, so I forgot all about this origin of Thor. And so it was fun rewatching it and getting to learn all about him again and seeing all the different stuff with Odin and Loki and all the different like folklore that goes along with that. That I've actually gotten kind of familiar with while watching Vikings, Austin. And uh, as far as his story of him going to Earth, I think that fits in well with the MCU and it was necessary. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I had forgotten how much uh, Norse mythology is actually in this movie. So that was really fun for me. I think at the time I just wasn't aware of it because, you know, now I've played projects like God of War, Assassin's Creed, seen the show Vikings. So all of that was super fun. And they actually went way deeper into it than I remember them doing. So I really like that they break down the Nine Realms and the history with Jotunheim and the Giants and all that stuff was super fun. Um, for me, like we've kind of touched on, I'm way less interested when we then leave this exciting mythological world and then just go to New Mexico. Like that's not very interesting for me. It's such a sharp dynamic between what we get in Asgard and then on Earth. Um, but for me, the majority of this movie is really fun. I just kind of get less interested uh, in the Earth stuff. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I just, I guess I'm closer to Keith. I just liked it. But I guess I would agree that the dynamic is different because on Asgard, 
it's always more lore and action focused, I guess. Whereas on Earth, it has to kind of naturally become a bit more comedic in some senses romantic focused, I guess you would say. So it's definitely just different, but it worked for me, I think, in large part because I like the human characters they chose. But I, I can understand why it wouldn't work fully for everybody because it is kind of a change. I do really enjoy all the comedy on Earth, though. Like that, I think that does make this movie really fun because I had forgotten that in addition to losing the hammer, he also loses all of his godly powers. Yeah. So that dynamic really did lend to some pretty fun slapstick comedic moments. At the very least, in addition to the com- the comedy and like the rom- the romance and all that fun stuff, I I know we're going to talk about it more as we go on here. But I do think the reason of going down to Earth to like make him kind of become a bit more humbled in direct response to how he handled the Jotunheim incident. I really like that. And while it is quick while he's on Earth, I do think there is at least a visible change in Thor's demeanor and actions as the movie goes on. And I think that's in large part because he goes to Earth. So I like that. Again, it is a bit rushed, but I think it works for the most part. So at the very least, I can't complain about like them going here and it feeling like extraneous because it worked for me. So that's kind of my last point there. Well, I guess, I guess what I want to know is because we, we've kind of touched on that Asgard is kind of the more exciting part of this movie. So do you guys think there may be a more interesting movie kind of like just beneath the surface here? Personally, I don't feel like you need Thor to go to Earth in his first movie. I think he definitely needs to go to Earth and have that connection. But I don't know if you need to do that in his origin story. I think the Asgard stuff is so cool that I kind of wish we had spent the entirety of the movie in that realm. I think it would have been really interesting to kind of like see his upbringing, see him being prepared as a kid to like take the throne, become king, all that sort of stuff. He's our only like actual god in the MCU. So I think more of his backstory would have been a really interesting story to learn about. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would say like it would be cool if they would have, yeah, kept him on Asgard, but still have the Natalie Portman, Stellan Skarsgård and and Darcy storyline kind of going on in the background of of them doing the research and S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of interfering and all that. And then at the end of the movie... Thor gets not banished to Earth, but something happens on Asgard to where he has to go to Earth. And then he ends up there and they end up finding him at the end of the movie. And then that's where they can kind of go into his sequel. Yeah, I like that, Keith. Like maybe he doesn't even need to be this like arrogant guy either. Like it could just be like an interesting origin story of this guy preparing to take the throne and then something causes him to get sent to Earth. And then our second movie takes place with Thor on Earth. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that second movie would be the Avengers. So it sounds like maybe in your guys' perfect version of this movie when it comes to like editing and moving stuff around, maybe they do a more Asgard focused plot. He gets banished more towards the end of the film and at the end he's just a mortal that meets these characters and then in the avengers when loki returns to wreck havoc and destroy the world he has to become worthy once again and maybe he becomes worthy in that movie is that what you're saying in that movie too loki could even kind of take the place of the destroyer like like maybe the reason loki comes to earth is partially thor's fault from being a dickhead back on asgard and so he has to take responsibility for those actions and then maybe in like the final act of avengers is when he becomes worthy and we see him get the hammer back and then he's able to join in because i do like in this movie that loki leans into that and i don't think he's lying i think loki is being truthful when he says i love my brother more than any of you but it's just he is a kind of a nutcase when it comes to diplomacy, at least. Even Odin says, you're only thinking like a warrior. So I like that aspect of when it become like when it comes to becoming king, you're not doing this right. And like, I want to bring him back. But at the same time, <laughs> that's not really good for anybody because he's not ready for that. So, yeah, that's interesting. OK, I see what you guys are saying. That could have been cool. That could have been cool. I like what we got, but I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I don't want to take away from the Natalie Portman and uh, Skarsgård storyline, though. I really enjoyed that part of it as well. It's actually a positive of of the movie that Keith and I are bringing up. Like, we're so interested in this Asgard stuff that they presented to us that we just want to see more of it. I am glad that we didn't get, I think you mentioned this, I am glad we didn't get, like, more of his origin story. I like that we got that one kind of opening narration scene with Anthony Hopkins telling the story about the Asgardians and the Frost Giants, which leads to him telling the same story to his two young sons. And I like that Thor's immediate response is like, we'll fight together in the future. We'll take the Frost Giants out. Don't worry. And he's like, no, like a good king should be ready for war, but not seek it out. And then cut to years later and Thor has been raised obviously as a warrior. So it's like, even though he's been taught these lessons, he doesn't really feel like diplomacy is the way. It's more about fighting and 
he talks about being feared by the realms, you know? So I like that we didn't get too much more of the origin because it's not like he changed too much between being that young and being the Thor we see in this movie. So that element I do like in this movie, that it goes from just a quick scene when he was a young kid to here we are. He's about to become king, but that doesn't actually end up happening. I don't know if you need to see like him full on as a kid for the majority of the movie, but I would be really interested to see what raising a god looks like. Sure. He is the god of thunder for the nine realms. So like, what does that childhood look like? I think that could be super interesting. And then when I read that Guillermo del Toro wanted to do Valhalla, I think that is also a really interesting aspect of Norse mythology. And I'd be super curious to see what that looks like in the MCU too. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can get it later on. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't know what they're going to do, but... That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, we don't get too much of the realms until later on. So, yeah, they definitely started off more grounded like we talked about. And it worked for me, but I definitely wouldn't have hated getting more of the Asgard stuff because I really did enjoy it as well. So, It also is important to remember, too, at the time we have Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, all these more grounded takes on superheroes. That is really what is working like comic book movies are big because we are doing the grounded takes. Yeah. So Marvel was actually super nervous to make Thor because it is mythical. It is kind of out there. It's not a grounded character. So I'm not surprised that they opted for as grounded of a story as they can because they did still have to compete with all these other films at the box office. Totally agree. I think you could also make the argument that having Thor develop a personal relationship with a few specific people on Earth and also just kind of I would say mortals in general, people that he can't really relate with before that, being a god. I think that's important for the Avengers. And I know we're not talking about the Avengers yet, but you have to imagine that Kevin Feige and the team was like, how do we introduce this character so that one year from now, when the Avengers comes out, it makes sense why he would even care about what's going on on Earth. So that element makes sense. But again, that's more of a future thing, less about this movie in a vacuum. Yeah, and, and giving him a love interest on Earth is a great idea. It makes him have to care about Earth. So I really like what you just said there, because it does make sense why he would then care that all this stuff is happening on Earth in the events of the Avengers. And it kind of foreshadows what will happen to him in the future Avenger movies with him kind of doing away with his Asgardian duties. A little bit, yeah. Until later on. But yeah, for a while, that's kind of what it was. Yeah, this movie, for me, I mean, it went by quickly, but it was super impactful for me. So first, I had forgotten how cool Thor really is, and we kind of already touched on this, but we get some amazing moments with him in most of the Avenger movies, but it's usually like only one or two really cool action scenes. So it was fun to go back and see a full film just about him. I mean, the fight scenes with him were badass. I'm sure some of them might not might not hold up for you guys, but they still pretty much hold up for me. It makes me look forward to watching, rewatching the sequels that we're going to be reviewing. So because I haven't seen this one in a while, it wasn't so nostalgic. I came away feeling more appreciative of the Thor character. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Keith put that really well. This movie was impactful for me as well. Um, it just really hit on all cylinders and kind of like Austin mentioned at the top, like I remembered Thor not becoming more interesting or funny or engaging until way like way later on in this franchise. But yeah, I'm with you, Keith, that they really kind of nailed it for me here with the get-go. And I just think you're so right. I mean, that opening action, my, my, my major complaints with the action were more towards like the destroyer stuff at the end. And I don't love how they shot and edited the fight scene on Jotunheim with how like much it cuts back and forth. But you're definitely right that he looks so badass. Like I love I love his immediate reactions to everything whenever he's like kind of begrudgingly going along with Loki, like, okay, we'll leave. And then it's like, run along, little princess. And then he just smiles and just bashes the guy and like, who's next? And whenever like a guy yells at him, he yells back, gets hit. He laughs instead of like being pissed off. And then him ultimately just flying through the mouth of that monster was like, this is pretty badass to start us off. I also love in that scene too that, they're trying to leave and the, and the guy says run along princess and then it cuts to Loki who goes ah damn it because he <laughs> yeah. knows that Thor is so headstrong that he's going to fight back now um, I like that you brought up the cutting mat because to me the action really does not work very well in this film they can't stay on any one shot long enough for you to actually get a sense of what's happening there's so many cuts back and forth so I'm glad we've gotten away from that in our later films 
Um, but I do love the character of Thor when he's fighting, like you said, Matt. I love how confident he is. I love how he thinks he can take on any challenge. Even when he's immortal, I love when he comes across kind of the last shield guy who's massive, and he's like, you're big. I thought bigger. And then he just goes at him. That's a great line. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like like we've mentioned, I really had forgotten how funny Thor was from the get-go. And so that was a really nice surprise to see because I, I was going into this film expecting for it to not hold up very well. I was really expecting to not be entertained with Thor until we actually got to Ragnarok. So I, I'm really happy that I enjoyed the character more so in this film. Whenever he calls down the lightning in that first scene and just like blows them all away and just blows the terrain away, it was like, that still looks awesome. Whenever he does the same to all the Loki clones at the end, it was like, that's still awesome. <laughs> so yeah, the action is, is, it is hit or miss admittedly, but I am glad with the moments that hit because they were pretty exciting. The misses, though, were pretty bad. <laughs> well, we get some better action ones later on. Um, oh, 100%. Which, are, which is why I'm excited to watch Dark World. I, I can't really remember anything from that movie either. So I don't know if that one has any good action movies. You better temper your expectations. Dude. I have only seen it once, and it was in theaters in 2013. You guys, it is bad. <laughs> it is so bad. <laughs> Damn. I still can't wait to watch it, though. Well, speaking of Thor the Dark World, where we see more Loki, we got to talk about Loki's origin. So I think people mostly, when they talk about Tom Hiddleston and just this character, they're talking about his more kind of maniacal and evil nature that we see in The Avengers, where he's the main villain as well. But kind of like Keith, have you been talking about how this movie really surprised you with a lot of these aspects? This one really got me because... I didn't remember how Loki was pretty interesting in this one, and he obviously becomes a mainstay for the future. He isn't a traditional villain yet. How did you guys feel about his inclusion here? Because I liked how he was just trying to fuck with Thor. One of my favorite scenes is when he goes back to Jotunheim. They don't do the Obadiah Stane bullshit where it's like he's been a pretty cool villain, and then they just reveal, hey, I hired you to kill Tony Stark and you didn't. And then it makes the audience go, oh, wait, so he's been a villain for like years before this that makes no sense i love when loki goes to jotunheim and he's just like oh i let you into asgard but i was just doing that because i was just trying to fuck with my brother i wanted to like uh delay his reign i just thought it'd be fun uh most of this worked for me so tom hiddleston kills it and i wanted to know guys what did you think of loki's role in this movie as the villain yeah tom hiddleston is just he's always been great in this role from the get-go um and this movie specifically i like his motivations more when it's just to fuck with thor it gets a little bit harder for me to buy at the end when he's like, I was going to make you proud, father. Because the last scene we got of him and Odin together is Loki being pissed that he's a frost giant. I don't think we got enough of the Loki and Odin relationship in this movie to buy that his sole motivation is he just wants to impress his dad. Maybe, yeah, maybe as I got older, I didn't buy it as much. But I guess since we did see a glimpse of them as kids, I do kind of buy it in that way, I guess. I don't know. I agree with you that it, it works. I, I also agree with Austin that it's just too rush at the end. Like the fact that, yeah, you're right, Keith. I said up at the beginning that Loki is equally trying to impress his father and the idea of being a king is equally as interesting to him and being Thor's equal that he mentions, like mentions later is also what he's after. But yeah, I just think, Austin, you mentioned that last scene with him and Odin is, is garbage because he's like, I do this for you, father, to, to make you proud. And it, it just feels like something was cut because Anthony Hopkins goes, no, Loki. It feels like he should have said something else. Like you did that for you, not for me. And then Loki just like gets sad and lets go. It's such a weird scene. It's also weird, too, because by Loki trying to destroy Jotunheim, he's doing the exact same thing Thor was trying to do at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But then throughout the movie, Loki's been like, Thor is, is arrogant and a terrible diplomat. But then they both end up having the same plan on how to deal with Jotunheim. So that I, I do feel like there was a scene that got missed where maybe Loki and Odin had a conversation and it was like, Jotunheim's always been a pain in my ass or like something like that. And then that's, that's what caused Loki point. to enact this plan. Okay, that's a good point, Austin. Because I was going to say, the thing that's cool is Thor was just like, I'm going to go to Jotunheim and just kill everybody. Whereas Loki had this like really intricate plan where it's like, I'm going to let a few of them in during Thor's like, uh, like king ceremony, and then they're going to all get killed. And then Thor's going to get banished. Odin's going to go into the sleep. So I'm the only person to become king. I go back to the frost giants. I let them all in. I let Laufian too, the king, to kill Odin. Then I kill him. And that way it looks like I prevented war. 
So now I have to destroy Jotunheim. That way, I'm completely um, in the right for doing what I'm doing, as opposed to Thor, who had no right to do what he was doing. So that's really cool in theory. But you're right, Austin. We really needed like one line where Odin was like, yeah, this truce is great. It's perfect that everything's peaceful, but still Laufey, he just gets under my skin and like, this is really, really grinding my gears or something that would like inspire Loki to do that for his father. Because at the end, that last scene is just so bad. Like I said, it just doesn't, it doesn't work with how they shot it, but everything else is interesting and cool. I think they did a good job of uh, really establishing uh, Tom Hiddleston's Loki as being like this mischievous, like kind of two-faced kind of guy, kind of kiss-assing all the time, and then twisting people's words around to make him look good. Yeah, I, I think it's fun. It's so good. The scene where he goes to talk to Thor on Earth, and dude, I love the choice where he turns around and he doesn't do the whole classic maniacal evil villain smile. Like he's actually kind of sad because his brother just gave him everything he didn't want him to. He apologized to him for what Thor did. And it's like, he's kind of like, I don't want to do this. And that scene where he's yelling at Odin is so great. And then the also wherever before he fights Thor and Tom Middleston is crying. And like he has tears streaming down his face, but he's like, he doesn't believe what he's saying, but he's still like, he's trying to egg on Thor. He's like, well, what about that woman you fell in love with? What's her name? I'll, I'll give her a visit and I'll, I'll kill her. And then that's what inspires Thor to attack. But like, he's just crying while he's doing it. It's like, this is really tragic, fucked up. And you can't blame him entirely because of the lie Odin told him. So yeah, it worked for me a lot of the time, except for the very end. It also seems like right there, they're really playing into him being the god of mischief because you can tell that he doesn't, he's not fully bought into his own plan anymore, but because he is this god of mischief, it's like, it's just in his nature to do this. So he, he's going to keep moving forward with it because it's, it's just what he does. Yeah. It's like, it's all involuntary for him because he really, you really can tell that he has like the love for his brother. I mean, that's something that they nailed in this movie and that they continue to nail in the MCU. Say what you want to about Loki, but I've always loved in every single movie, whether it be good or bad, the relationship between Thor and Loki. Even when Loki like kills all these people, it's like, you're still my brother. I don't trust you anymore, but I'm still trying and I want us to be where we were. It's like they've always nailed that. So I'm, I'm glad to watch this one back and see if they still had those seeds from the beginning. Okay, so let's now kind of get away from Asgard and go into the Earth storyline. So what I want to know is, how do you guys feel about the time it takes for Thor to earn back the right to use Milnor? Um, I'm not saying that I wanted to see Thor not be Thor for like the entirety of this movie. I definitely didn't want that. But in the context of this movie in a vacuum, he's really only not Thor for like three days. Um, and after he tries to get Milnor back from S.H.I.E.L.D., it's literally the following morning when he can wield the hammer again. So it just all seems super quick to me. So did you guys buy that he actually had enough time to grow and earn back his powers? Or did this whole dynamic feel a little rushed to you guys? My answer is a cop-out, but it's undeniably rushed. Yes. But at the same time, what they kind of like crammed in here, I guess, kind of works for me. The fact that He's softened by not just people from Earth, but people that are mortal. The fact that he understands the lesson that his father was trying to teach him when it comes to being worthy and he can't lift the hammer. The fact that Loki comes to him and tells him these lies, but he buys into it. He feels guilty at that moment because he's like, I killed my father, basically. Like, I, I directly led to that. I have to atone, basically. I have to figure something out. And then when it comes to the end of the movie... He's just trying to save people. He's a mortal being. He can't do anything, but he's trying to get people evacuated out of the area. He's still approaching this destroyer that he knows will kill him. And his response is to not hit it. His response is to reach out to his brother. And he even says, I don't know what I did, Loki. I don't know what it was, but I'm truly sorry because clearly it was something. So he's apologizing. And then beyond that, he gets the godhood back and he returns to Asgard. And his response is to destroy the bridge. He knows he can't see Jane Foster again. Loki says that. But he's like, if I don't destroy this bridge, Jotunheim will be destroyed. And if Jotunheim is destroyed, innocent people will die. Loki calls it out. That's what you were trying to do at the beginning of this movie. You didn't care about who you killed. And he's like, 
I can't let innocent people die. He's being selfless and humble, and he would rather destroy the bridge to save these innocent people, these innocent frost giants, than see somebody that he met for three days and fell in love with. He would rather do that because it's the right thing. So I agree. It's rushed. A lot of this happens very fast. But I still think what they got in there worked for me. And that final scene with him and Odin where he's like, I'll never be as good a king as you, never be as wise, I won't be as good of a father either. And then they just have that moment where he's like, I just want to make you proud. And he's like, you already did. He learned his lesson. So it works for me. It happens too quick. But ultimately, I was a big fan of it. Everything you called out there, I, I do think it's great. I, I love the closing 30 minutes of this movie. Everything he says to Loki and that whole relationship and, and that dynamic is, is fantastic in this movie. I just think the sequence of events of him being out on Earth, the way they play out, add to the element of it feeling rushed in this film. Yeah. Like I almost think because he literally goes to get the hammer at night from S.H.I.E.L.D., can't wield it. Following morning, Destroyer shows up. I got the hammer back. Like that makes it feel super quick. I almost think you need him to like land on earth next to the hammer, not be able to wield it then, and then go through like the growing phase. And and just by making that little change, it, it then kind of makes it feel like it's a longer time frame before he can wield it again. That's a good call. I agree with you. I mean, I do agree with you that, yeah, three days is a little quick, but maybe that's just how badass Thor is. Like he doesn't stay down for long. <laughs> He's able to get his shit back real quick. And the fact that, Whatever was going on with Loki kind of helped him out with that, like, and all the stuff going on with the uh, the Bifrost people and all that kind of sped up that process. So it is kind of it is kind of weird though when you think about in Endgame, like all the shit Captain America had to do. This is to such be a able great to wield the hammer. Austin. I was gonna bring this up too because they tease it in Avengers: Age of Ultron that the hammer slightly moves, still can't wield it. And then he has to go through everything that he goes through up until the events of Endgame. And then finally there he can wield it. Whereas Thor just has to pretend to die and he gets the hammer back right away. Yes. This is an example of something that works for me very well in the context of this movie. Whenever you carry over this whole thing of you have to be worthy to wield, to wield Mjolnir in the future... It's like, well, how worthy do you have to be? Every member of the Avengers is more worthy than Thor. Exactly. That's kind of, exactly. So it is tough, but at least in the context of this movie that we're talking about now, it works. In the future, maybe not so much. Is it still a badass? Hell yeah. But uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's it, a great scene. Yeah, they kind but... of lose the whole worthiness <laughs> plot for sure. Um, to play devil's advocate real quick, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I think when Keith brought up the fact that would we have rather like seen more Asgard and then just the stuff at the end? I think that could have been cool. But at the same time, while we don't love all the aspects of it, I think the character arc that Thor goes through and by where we see him at the end of this movie, I don't know if we could have gotten that if we had saved the banishment for the end. So that's really all like the only thing I can say in favor of doing it the way they did it. I still would have liked to see the other way, but that's really the only pro I can give it. Yeah, so that kind of goes to my next point, because I was going to say, we do get that connection with Earth in this one by using the Stellan Skarsgård and Natalie Portman story. Um, but yeah, even though this is an origin story, I mean, this movie does do a really good job of like kind of subtly filling in the gaps and progressing the MCU storyline. And like one example of this is when Eric is referencing a scientist he knows that had some experience with gamma radiation. He's obviously talking about Bruce Banner. Is that a retcon, though? Because he says that S.H.I.E.L.D. came in and and, kind of, and he was never heard from again. And that didn't happen in The Incredible Hulk. Well, he does disappear. Yes, I agree he does. But I guess then you have to ask yourself, what's General Ross's ties with S.H.I.E.L.D.? Because, yeah, they imply that, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. made him disappear. But either way, I don't know. It sounds like they're talking about Bruce Banner, though. I agree with you, Keith. It might have just been, like, a light little retcon they made. But, yeah, so we had... What did you guys think about the whole Agent Coulson and S.H.I.E.L.D. being in this one? I mean, I to me, they felt like they kind of blended things in from the outside MCU world better in this one than they did with Nick Fury and Natasha coming in and Iron Man 2. Like, we kind of touched on the negatives of that when we reviewed Iron Man 2. I think this is just another reason why I like this movie. I think you're right. They gave us an origin story that not only felt integral to our main character and our villain, 
but it also gave us this B plot that kind of ties into the greater MCU. And I feel like there's no better way to do it. Give us an A plot that feels like it's on its own, but then have like these little elements just in the background that kind of tie into the greater MCU with Coulson like running shield, trying to figure out what the hammer's doing. I love the scene where he's like, still in Skarsgård's like, oh, his name's Donald Blake. And then Coulson looks at this thing and it says falsified information. He's like, okay, sorry. And then like, they just let him go. And he's like, okay, follow them. Like he wants to know what's going on. He wants to know what the hell's going on with this guy. Um, I, I loved it. I think they tied it in so well. You're so right. And then with that post credit scene, bringing in Nick Fury to talk to Eric Sell, that was really interesting too, because obviously we'll see the Tesseract in the Avengers. I think this is a great point. Another reason that this movie kind of is high up there for me because they tied it in so much better than something like Iron Man 2, which felt so forced. Awesome. what do you think? I just, isn't it so weird that it's Agent Coulson running the show here, though? And as opposed to Nick Fury, especially after how big of a part Nick Fury had in Iron Man 2 and how small of a role Agent Coulson had in Iron Man 2. Like, I, I think it would have been a better connection to have it be Nick Fury in this one. Maybe, but I think that's why it blended well, because I think feel like Nick Fury is such a big and awesome character that it might have distracted. So an alien artifact falling into the planet wouldn't bring in Nick Fury? Well, he's the one that sends Coulson. But you you said Nick Fury's too big. It, it feels like this alien artifact is a, is a big enough plot to take Nick Fury away from Tony Stark. My thing is, I think what Keith, you're saying, and I think I agree with you, is I agree with Austin that this thing seems so huge that Nick Fury, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., should be investigating this directly. I agree with that. But one of my problems with Iron Man 2 was they gave way too much screen time to Nick Fury. And I love Sam Jackson, without a doubt, and he did great in Iron Man 2. But if you give him that many scenes in this movie, then I think I'd be with Keith like, okay, now this feels less about a Thor origin story and more about, like, this is just another setup for the Avengers. I know that's coming out next year, but I want I want to understand this character. So I think making it Coulson is still a fun connection because he's been in all the movies leading up except uh, Incredible Hulk. And uh, it's not like he's not too big of a character that it distracts from the actual Thor story. There was no moment in this movie where I was like, oh, Coulson's here. This now feels like they're setting up for the Avengers. You know what I mean? If it had been Nick Fury, I think I would have felt that way. And I think Nick Fury's main objective at this point was to put together like the team. He doesn't even know who Thor is at, at right now. I get what you mean when you say that like not having Nick Fury in this movie doesn't make it feel like a setup movie. But it, it, I guess it's just hard for me like now that we're here in 2021 today watching this film and seeing that it's Agent Coulson over Nick Fury, it's just, it just kind of feels like a weird choice. But it, I guess at the time, it probably did make this not feel as like a, as much of a glaring setup movie as Iron Man 2 did. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think I like the choice of Coulson because it feels more grounded and it feels more realistic because that's Coulson's job, as we've seen. We've seen him do similar stuff. But it also is like, Nick Fury knows that Tony Stark exists in the world, and he's like, oh, that's Iron Man. He knows about Bruce Banner and his accident becoming the Hulk. Whenever a hammer drops out of the sky, Nick Fury can't go, oh, I knew that was going to happen. He has no idea that Thor is about to fall. So it seems like he would have been more involved in this plot. So I, I see what you're saying in terms of like the realism in the world of the movie, for sure. Okay, guys, we're going to start wrapping things up. But before we do... We do need to do our Arnie's Podcast Awards. If you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith, kick us off today. The best beer chuggers award goes to two people. That goes to Mr. Thor, Chris Hemsworth, and Mr. Stellan Skarsgård, Eric. That's a fun scene. That's a really fun scene. So good. And Keith, I feel like... I feel like all three of us wish we could have also been in that scene. Do you know what I mean? Whenever they like got those... What'd they call them? I can't even remember what the name of the drink was. Was it Haymakers? Hey, that might have been it. Yeah, something like that. But whenever they poured that shot in, it reminded me of going to visit Austin at the beginning of the pandemic where I fell asleep at a bar, then did an entire drink with a shot in it, and then went right back to sleep. So it's the dream. We could have done this. It, 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 they had the Foo Fighters on in the background, guys. What more can you ask for? <laughs> I teased it at the beginning of this episode. I'm going to give the funniest line to ever be written down for a movie award and it is it's a throwaway line but it made me laugh so hard when thor walks up to agent colson at the end of this movie <laughs> and goes son of coal so oh my god what a great line so great 
Okay, Matt, take us home. What is your award for Thor? Here's the thing, guys. So many awards I want to give. I want to give something to Asgard because how cute it looks. It's just so pretty. I want to live there. But there is a citizen of Asgard that looks the coolest out of anybody. And it's Mr. Idris Elba himself as Heimdall. The voice they gave, that echo, that reverb is like, ooh, so cool. That sword, that action sequence, whenever he's screaming and breaks out of ice somehow. I'm like, I don't know how he did that, but that was pretty badass. But the award that he gets specifically is the best contacts. I like seeing Idris Elba with orange eyes. That's all I can say. Oh, he, looked he does great. have some good eyes. Yeah. He's getting the best contact award for this film. So there you go. Thank you, Idris Elba. You killed it in this movie. And you killed it in the years to come. Congrats to underrated and unknown actor Idris Elba <laughs> for taking home another award today. And my friends, that'll do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social and thearnies.media is the website. The MCU series will continue in two weeks with Captain America, the first Avenger. And next week, we are bringing our brackets back. We last did this in February to decide the best romantic comedy of all time. And this time, we are definitively breaking down and awarding the best, best picture winner of all time. This is exciting, guys. I feel like this bracket, at the very least, I would hope there's not going to be any kind of uh, controversial takes on, is this movie good or bad? Like, they all won Best Picture, so hopefully they're good. As for Captain America, guys, obviously we're not going to talk about it too much, but all I'll say is a little tease. I feel like Captain America, the first Avenger might be Austin's Thor for me. I've seen that one a weird amount of times, and I feel like it's a pretty underrated MCU movie, so I'm excited to break that down and rewatch that one. Uh, we've also talked about Godzilla vs. Kong recently, so check that out. And like I mentioned at the top, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is the latest entry to the MCU Phase 4. Those episodes come out every Friday, so check out our reviews and our spoiler thoughts the following Sunday. Yeah, and check us out on Instagram, at the Arnie's, feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes. So please go back and rewatch Iron Man, Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, and Thor. And as well, yeah, help us prepare for our best, best picture bracket and get started. I just started with Argo the other day, and I'm probably going to watch... What's, what's one of the other ones? I was going to say another one. Parasite. Shark Tale. And I'm probably going to watch Parasite soon. All right, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Did you say Shark Tale? I only said that for Keith. That was a Keith-specific joke. <laughs> that was that like was perfect. I was as like, I was did like, Keith not as hear As I was me? finishing up my sentence, you said that, and I was like, did he say Shark Tale? Like, I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> oh, thank God. I was like, come on, Keith, I need you to laugh. <laughs>